0: welcome back to another episode of the urban guru podcast where we feature insights from artists and professionals of color on today's podcast we'll chat with marcus haynes he's a college instructor author blogger scholar and advocate for blackness in all its forms not only has he been publishing his work since the age of nine but through his current efforts, he continues to increase the representation of underrepresented characters in speculative fiction. So stay tuned for another informative interview with Marcus Haynes. Really appreciate you doing this. We've uh, How long have we known each other? Years. it it hasn't been years it's been that long oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) i don't know
1: how many years but some years
0: but i really appreciate it you're um an academic a scholar a writer, an author, a teacher, all all of those things. And so we're going to talk with you today about what's going on in your world and what you're doing and some of the things that you're doing, particularly in terms of speculative fiction and your advocacy for our place in speculative fiction, which I think is a really important thing. So um, I guess the first thing I can ask you is um, how did your writing journey begin or your creative journey begin?
1: So I was a kid who spent a lot of time, like, just writing and reading pretty much everything. I used to sit at the um, kitchen table and i read the back of the cereal box. Um, I used to sit and, you know, write down recipes. My mom was cooking. But really, I think that I began my journey as a creative probably when I was about eight or nine years old. I used to write a book series that I went and sold to my classmates for, like, to send a book. And that really kind of put me on that journey to, yeah, you know, this this could be something you could do.
0: So, wait a minute. you wrote, How old were you when you wrote this series? I was like nine. Wow. So you're already nine and you're already writing episodic material. So you're yeah. really ahead of the game, really. So I'm curious, what was the response of the kids? Oh, they enjoyed it.
1: Uh, they enjoyed it a lot. In fact, like getting a phone call from one of my classmates, who over the summer, who wanted like to read more of the books and kind of like see what happened next in the story. That's what really kind of cemented in my mind that I wanted to be a writer.
0: So you have been reading and, and writing from from a young age and you're doing this series, but I imagine getting a call like that, like you said, it seemed that your desire to be a writer did, did you already have the confidence? You just needed to that boost to know that you already knew you could write, but what you were writing would be popular enough Was a situation like that?
1: Yeah, I guess so. Um, because I get one of the things that really kind of got me to writing was I, you know, engaged with so much like superhero stuff and you know, like reading books, series, stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah, the confidence was always there because I wanted to do it. And I it the thought never crossed my mind that, oh, you probably you wouldn't be good at this. So I think that it was just kind of the the reception. They really let me know that, oh, other people think I'm good at this too. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a really important thing to, to learn it at a young age, you know, to yeah. see the reception of it. What would you say were some of your um, writing and artistic inspirations?
1: So yeah, I had, a, there were a lot of things that I engaged with when I was younger. Like I, you know, I read the of book series. Um, I watched a lot of like superhero content, but I think that, no, I think I could say that, you know, really kind of engaging with this content that was already put out there kind of gave me the inspiration to want to create my own. And it wasn't kind of until I got a little bit older who I started actually gravitating
0: towards different authors and And that's perfect because I was gonna ask you, do you have a favorite author? Because like I said, I know you I know you're a scholar, you're you're a well educated person, so you read a plethora of of stuff, different stuff. Do you have favorite author or authors? just ask me to pick a favorite child <laughs> well you can name more than one I,
1: yeah. okay some people who I really enjoy I've started reading N.K. Jemison's. actually that may be a, let me look at this bookshelf <laughs> I've started reading N.K. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really enjoying that I'm a fan of Daniel Black's work of course I read like all I read so many like indie creators mm-hmm. uh, whose stuff I enjoy great uh, Greg Anderson at of course mm-hmm. your stuff um, like there are a number of indie creators I enjoy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm going to stop because I'm going to be naming stuff for like an hour.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And and I know how you feel because sometimes if you try to think about it. I'm kind of the same way because I would read a lot of stuff, a lot of authors and of course. Well, for me, you know, you read the traditional ones, the ones that everybody mentioned, particularly in, in, in sci-fi okay. and fantasy. But then as you learn, as you get older, because uh, at least I wasn't just told this, you learn that there are actually other people out there and some people who look like you. And so you find their stuff. And of course, everybody eventually finds Octavia Butler and, yeah, and Delaney and, it, and all these it people.
1: It from there. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And I, you know, I remember when I was at Howard University in the Founders Library, they had this huge book. It looked like it looked like something out of a fantasy movie when you walk up to it, like it's going to be a big spell book. But I mm-hmm. looked in there and I was shocked because it was a book full of writers, science fiction writers of color around the world. And mm-hmm. I didn't know that many people existed. And it was a thick book. It looked like an encyclopedia and it was just sitting open on this pedestal. And and so it's like, it, yeah, that moment when your eyes are really open. And I'm curious for you, were you always aware that there were writers who looked like you doing these things? Or, or if not, when did that occur for you?
1: So first I have to say this, like, that was like fate, the heavens opening up that you walked into and you saw this big, huge book sitting. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you can't write a better setup than that. Um,
0: oh, no. Story <laughs> ideas, folks. Story ideas. Don't steal it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But um, I think for me, uh, no, actually, I didn't realize. And it actually took some time. Um, some time, because that was actually one of the things that was kind of brought up uh, by my father when I was younger. You know, the fact that I was so engaged with the speculative work, so engaged with this fantasy science fiction. And particularly at the time I was growing up, you may have gotten a handful of Black characters, let alone Black writers. So it was a predominantly white cast, predominantly Black writer. And my dad was like, hey, where do Black people at? And you know, being a kid, you don't understand. This is it doesn't matter, you know, not knowing any better, or what have you. And it wasn't until honestly, it probably wasn't until like late college, maybe even the start of grad school. So I was in my 20s mm-hmm. before I really started engaging and um, understanding that there were a plethora of black and other people of color who wrote this type of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was about the same for me. I didn't even know who Octavia Butler was until I got into college. So yeah. it's like, it's weird. So for me, it's kind of like the same thing. You know, you're in your 20s and now you're discovering all these things. And and of course, I know with all the things you do now in your life and the advocacy and stuff, obviously, you've taken that question from your father to heart. It's like, where are all the Black people? And not only are you chronicling that things, but you're also adding to that body of literature. And, and we're definitely going to talk about that in your series. So you wrote when you were little, younger, mm-hmm. and then did you write through college or in high school and college? Was it a continual thing or, or was there a gaps or, or what happened with you there? There were definitely
1: gaps. I wrote, you know, when I was younger, um, but when I got over into middle school, you know,
0: middle school,
1: puberty, teenage things, <laughs> my mind wasn't on writing. <laughs> um, it. I came back into writing in high school for actually a writing challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I don't remember the exact parameters of it, but I know that I ended up writing a, uh, what, was it, what really was a movie script based off of one of my favorite video games at the time. Mm-hmm. So I won that. So that was, you know, wow. like a big top and this is boost, but I didn't really start writing seriously again until college. Mm -hmm. um when I started because I have degrees in English so Mm -hmm. I took courses that required us to write you know our own sort of short fiction and stuff like that sort Mm -hmm. so that really kind of put me back on the path to writing and I got really serious with it once I got into graduate school because that's when I started working on my own series.
0: You write um columns, blogs, you write short stories, and you are, you're you mm-hmm. an author, of a series. But just before we get into that, of all these things, is there a particular form that you like more than others that you feel more free or creative in? Or do, or do you like them all equally because it's always something different for you?
1: Now this one actually can be because um, I do see myself more as a fiction, like short, uh, well, not even short story, but like long fiction writer more than anything else going back to when I first started writing, when I was writing that series, you know, it was long form fiction. And the series I'm doing now is, you know, novels, novella style type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy, you know, any type of writing that I do, mm-hmm. but really like my home, my bread and butter is in fiction writing.
0: Okay. And I'm and again, I'm glad you mentioned that over the years, I've read your, your essays and, and there's, there's one in particular I'm going to quote later. And, and it won't. I won't be blindsided you because you eat, sleep, and drink this stuff, okay? So, but it's really, it's a really inspirational <laughs> okay. thing. But before we get there, it's the whole thing about speculative fiction versus, or not versus, it, but contrasting between Afrofuturism. And I'm just really mm-hmm. wondering for um, our listeners, could you like break down those two terms and how they relate to each other?
1: So I, I do want to say, you know, this is this is. My definition, this is, you know, <laughs> other people may define things differently, and it's fine if you disagree, but for me in my house,
0: um,
1: <laughs> the way I see it is um, speculative fiction is the umbrella term mm-hmm. for pretty much anything that falls under that genre fiction kind of title, you know, fantasy, science fiction, horror, art history, et cetera. Okay. And Afrofuturism is a part of that, okay. particularly when you're talking about black speculative fiction. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people, simply because it is, it has become a term that's been very popular in recent years. I think a lot of people try to attribute Afrofutur- Afrofuturism to everything. Like mm-hmm. I'm seeing some people say, oh, get out, is Afrofuturism. I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. Okay. Um, okay. I think it is an important part of the stories that we tell using speculative fiction. But I don't think that Afrofuturism is the end all be all. Mm-hmm. So for me, I see speculative fiction, black speculative fiction as the umbrella and Afrofuturism is just one of the things that falls under that.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I guess with Afrofuturism, it, it, I guess it also um, talks more about the technology that we yeah. might have in our, and, yeah. And, and I'm just curious, and, I don't, and, I, and again, since this is an area that you're into, um, when I was working on a um, world building for a uh, alternative history, um, sci-fi series, I ran into this Afrofuturism and mm-hmm. I was just wondering, and I've seen there's a little bit of a movement by actual African authors, you know, authors from the continent mm-hmm. who don't want to use that term because even it's too inclusive and they're actually going with a different term for their literature. And so I'm just yeah. wondering, have you heard anything about that? And do you think we'll, if, if that happens, do you think we might change that? are the afrofuturism of something else
1: genre when you're writing and really with anything is is a term that fluctuates so much Mm -hmm. um you know what we call what we will call afrofuturism someone else may call you know present day who knows Mm -hmm. um i think that the push towards african futurism because that's what you know what a lot of people call it Mm-hmm. Is just another way for another group of people to be able to name what they're creating for themselves. Okay. Like for me, the reason why I tend to kind of back away from Afrofuturism a bit is because of, I feel like it is rooted in the idea of technology impacting the future. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, black people, technology, future. And if it doesn't necessarily deal with that, I don't really see myself, you know, using that term. But mm-hmm. well, other people may see it differently. And I guess that's kind of my main takeaway, you know, how you decide to name your work, how you decide to classify yourself, that's, you you know, that's that's your decision. Um, So I don't know if how some people decide to name themselves is going to sort of like completely transform the entire genre. Mm -hmm. I think if anything, this would just be another way or another side to Afrofuturism as a whole.
0: And and that brings me around to um, another area in which you are doing a lot of scholarship and research and you're collecting existing material. Again, I think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic because somebody needs to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. I know you can't do it alone, but I think that's really valuable work. But as we talk about speculative fiction, And our space in it. You know, I'm going to go ahead and read this quote because we're going to get into this and we're going to talk about your series. You had a blog or article that was called Speculating Black. And there's a quote in here that I really like. Well, I like the whole article. There's a link to it on your website for anybody who goes to your website. And we'll include all the links in the description of this podcast. But you have a statement in there. The questions raised by speculative fiction give us a greater insight into humanity and our psyche, allowing us to look outside of the norms of our world to learn more about ourselves and our culture. It has for decades, if not centuries, given us the tools to challenge our imaginations to look outside the world as we know it. And here's the important question that you raised. So what happens then when for all of this imagining and all this exploration, black people are excluded from the narrative? Can you talk a little bit <laughs> about that?
1: I can write a little bit, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's why I've gravitated towards speculative fiction is why I engage so much with Black speculative fiction. Because at its foundation, when we look at genres like fantasy, science fiction, horror, alternate history, they're calling for us to look at the world in a different way. You know, um, the sort of the scenario I always give my students whenever I'm explaining speculative fiction to them is I say, OK, imagine you're engaging with a story and this guy who's on a boat He's about to be thrown overboard into shark-infested waters. Even though this is a story, you can pretty much expect where this is going to go. If he's being thrown overboard into these shark-infested waters, they're probably going to eat him. What speculative fiction does is it forces us to ask these what-if questions. What if, when he's thrown into this water, he can talk to sharks? Can he convince the shark not to eat him? Mm -hmm. What if the sharks actually turn out to be mechanical? Do mechanical sharks still chase after people like um, you know, like um, biological ones do? Mm-hmm. What if this was a point in time before sharks had adapted to be able to sense blood and things like that in the water? These what if questions are really what makes speculative fiction what it is, what separates it from any other type of fiction. And when we start asking these what if questions, we have to start challenging and thinking outside of sort of how we view the world. Mm-hmm. Because now we're throwing all these extra sort of aspects, all these extra perspectives into it. And it's really feeding into our imaginations, really making us think about things in a different way from different angles. Mm-hmm. So when I pose that question you know, what happens when Black people are separated from that, that's really a question of like what happens when Black people are denied imagination. And I think that's really something that is what we've seen pushed back against and what we've seen pushed on us for these decades, these centuries, mm-hmm. you know, this lack of imagination when it comes to Black people and their experiences is pushed on us. Even though we push back against it every day, because just to just to survive, you got to be able to speculate and look outside of you know the world in which you're in. So we push back against it, but that sort of that push and pull is what I think makes speculative, Black speculative fiction so important, because it gives us that extra leeway to push back that much harder to really expand the imagination, not just of ourselves, but of the world around us, mm-hmm. sometimes just to see us as people.
0: And I'm glad you mentioned that, that, that part, because you do raise that question. Not only is, has imagination so, for so long been denied us by an outside culture and world, but sometimes mm-hmm. even people within our community have that lack of imagination and, and embracing of diversity, even from within their own, which brings me to one of the areas that you focus on. Not only do we have speculative fiction, but we have incredibly diverse voices in our Black speculative fiction. And one of the areas that you've written about is Black queer speculative fiction. Mm-hmm. Do you wanna um, mm-hmm. comment a little bit about that and, and, and tell us a little bit about, about your work there?
1: Yeah, um, because it, it, it builds off of that same sort of idea. When you have that sort of lack of imagination or when you're denied, you know, that's imaginative space, you get to the point to where anything that doesn't fit in with a very limited sort of worldview gets, put, gets pushed back against. I think we see that when we're talking about, um, when we're talking about queer people, really any sort of like marginalized identity in general, but I think particularly when we're talking about within this Black space, within this Black speculative space, mm-hmm. you see that sort of pushback. And it's something that I think that Black speculative fiction can really help to sort of elevate that ability to not just see Black people, just in general,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as human and to expand that imagination to encompass us, but also to understand the experiences of Black white people. Because, yeah, we I am. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes. uh huh. Again, you're doing, um, I, I think, very critical work in that area, because like you said, we're, we're in this, this renaissance, we're in this um, increase in um, content that's being created by black creators, which is important. But again, going back to your question, what happens when we're not there? Some people might say, OK, well, we need more representation. But, you know, the NAACP mm-hmm. put out that recent report that says, OK, we got representation on our shows, but the shows mm-hmm. are still largely detrimental. To our community because we don't have people higher up making sure that the representation mm-hmm. probably has all the nuance and the variety that we need we find ourselves on those levels and that in the mainstream media fighting that battle and now you have all these mm-hmm. creators down here who are putting out all this literature and like you said it's incredibly diverse and it includes groups that are even underrepresented within our own community and so i, I really like i said I, re- I really appreciate that because even for the books that i write that fit into the category it's like that's why I'm writing. <laughs> you know I want to have I want wow. that divo- that diverse voice. I want that experience that was unique to me that I don't even see when we quote unquote, have even representative stuff in that arena. It represents wow. this type, this type, but black people, no matter how they define themselves, are incredibly diverse people. But yeah. that brings me to your series that you wrote. <laughs> so <laughs> what inspired you? I guess you kind of answered that, but what inspired you to write your elemental series?
1: um believe it or not it's kind of a super like loose adaptation of that original series that i started when i was nine that first series i called it girl chase back then i was i was a nine-year-old i was a nine-year-old boy but it was really based around this team of characters who were working together to save the world. Yeah, it was inspired by the stuff I was watching at the time, like the Power Rangers and the X-Men, et cetera. But what the Elemental series has become has been really a natural kind of evolution of that because it's gone from you know this thing that was very clearly like a Power Rangers-like thing to this story that I'm trying to craft of these extremely diverse characters with so many different life experiences Mm -hmm. that come together to really be... sounds cliche, but to be a family, Mm -hmm. to be this sort of um, group of people who were brought together by external forces, but have learned to love one another, to learn to support each other, and to really be this group of people that shows not just, you know, the diversity of experiences that um, particularly Black people can have, but to show how they all can work together even through these different experiences, different walks of life that they come from and achieve a common goal. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and it's a wonderful series. You have you have two books right now in the series, right? Yeah. With more plan, OK? Um, but oh, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a good series. And, and again, I'll have a direct link for that also. And you're right. Your characters are so diverse. They come from so many different backgrounds and you see their personality play off of each other mm-hmm. through the books. And so it, 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 it was really fun reading that. And, and I think I'd already asked you, I can't wait till you come out with the third book. Yeah. I think I told you before, mm-hmm. I was at a convention in Chicago ball places I'm having lunch in the hotel. I have your second book because I think it had come out and I got it from you. I had it on the table mm-hmm. and I saw the waiting staff. There were two women standing around my table and I thought something had gone wrong. And when I came over, they asked me if I was the author. And I was like, ah, like, oh, that was my chance. And <laughs> I said, no, but they were really impressed. I knew the author of this book. And I, and I think, I, I don't know if I sent you a shot or not but I, I should have taken a shot of them and sent it to you so you could post this stuff. But yeah, so. Yeah, your 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 work really gets out there, and people enjoy it. So, and again, it's evidence that that you are a creative writer and a a really good writer who can touch people. I appreciate that. I'm currently working on the
1: third book. I'm doing a bit of kind of like um, I'm doing a lot of kind of like renovations, rebranding, relaunching type deal with a lot of stuff in my life right now. But yeah, um, once I kind of get a solid footing in that. You
0: can expect book three to follow soon after. In addition to the third book in the series, what else are you working on? Is there anything that you want us to know about? I'm working on a couple of things.
1: Not all of them I can share right right now, but I will say that I just got some really good news today that I'm looking forward to sharing because as I do this kind of like rebranding, relaunch type deal... I'm also discovering kind of like uh, discovering and rediscovering my passion for a couple of things. Mm -hmm. And I think in the world of Black speculative fiction, I think we've done so much, you know, with books and with comics, with with, you know, prose books, novels, and comics. I think that a lot of us are missing out on opportunities to do other platforms, do other pieces of media. So I would love to kind of to branch off into different stuff, and I'm really excited about the possibilities with that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, mm-hmm. um, other stories, other things that I am doing on the side. You know, always trying to put stuff out in you know anthologies. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe working on some other sort of like side projects, other mm-hmm. ideas. Because like you 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 kind of touched on it earlier, you know, like story ideas are everywhere. So I'm always kind of trying to take those ideas in and do at least a little something with
0: the stuff that pops up. And I'm curious that you mentioned that because I was thinking about it today. And I know a lot of people, sometimes mm-hmm. they worry that they might not have another good idea or they might not have enough ideas. And I'm wondering, do you find, and I kind of sense it in, your, in, your, in what you said just now, do you find that it's actually the opposite? You don't have the time to really... <laughs>
1: Most definitely, okay. I have a million and thirty-two ideas. And mm-hmm. I'm like, when are you going to do this? Mm-hmm. It's like I keep I'm writing things down, writing story ideas, stuff that comes to my head. Like, when are you going to have the time to do this? Mm-hmm. You have to sleep.
0: Yeah, and, and and I was just telling myself that I was like, you know what? I really do have a lot of ideas for short stories or novels and stuff like that, and I'm looking at it, it's like, I <laughs> you know, when am I going to get a time to do that? <laughs> Um, but, that, but that's another question, because again, I always like these um, podcasts to offer um, some helpful tips and insights to people. How do you manage multiple projects? Do you, do you handle multiple projects at one time, or do you just concentrate on one until you get to a stopping place and then?
1: Um, I honestly, for the most part, I kind of just concentrate on one. I guess you could say that because like, say for instance, I'm trying to put myself on a schedule over the summer. To where, you know, like one day I sit up and I'll read and, you know, try to get back into my reading and, you know, engage with works other people put out. Mm -hmm. And one day I may say, okay, I'm going to work on this, I'm going to write this. And then maybe another day I'm like, okay, I'm going to write this. So it's really kind of me trying to find that space to where I can try to dedicate at least a little bit of time to different projects Mm -hmm. because it's easy to, one, become overwhelmed. Or to two go in the opposite direction and not do anything because you have so many ideas you can't decide on what to do.
0: Mm-hmm. And and we live, particularly after the pandemic, we are super hyper aware of our streaming options. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I know personally during the pandemic, I was you know, I still at my my other job. I worked from home and mm-hmm. I got a book done by because I I was technology, so I could I could do it. Work for an hour, check your email, handle problems and stuff like that. Oh yeah. You're still you're still monitoring, but you spend 45 minutes writing on your novel, then come back for another hour or two, make sure everything's okay. And then go. I actually got through my current version of the novel that I have coming out by doing that during the pandemic. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting thing to do. And and I'm curious, so In general, what advice would you give to new artists? Because again, during this time, post-pandemic, people are in a different mindset. They're willing to try things. They're willing to stay remote if they can or just let go and do other things. So what would you give to maybe people who are finally sitting down and they are trying their hands at writing that book or that novel or that short story that they always wanted to do in terms of getting it done? And then the second part of that, okay, now I got it done. What do I do now? I think
1: just sort of a general thing um, is that it's important to recognize that even as a quote unquote independent, you know, indie creator, mm-hmm. you're not really alone. I know for me, I have ed- I have my editors, I have people who would be considered like beta readers. I have my artist who does a lot of my artwork. I have my friends are in my marketing who's kind of helped me get with this whole rebrand, relaunch type deal. And that's just me. That's just, you know, that's just with my work. So it's important to recognize and to accept that, hey, if you can find people who believe in your vision, who are willing to kind of help you and to stand beside you as you work through it, latch on to those people. Mm -hmm. Even if it's like your best friends who might not completely understand what it is that you're doing, it's speculative fiction, but they're just like, I'm rooting for you. Latch on to that. I think that this is probably the only way in which this type of work can really happen when we do it in community. Okay? Yeah, that's my general sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now but remind me the second part of the question.
0: You kind of sort mm-hmm. of answer it because if you're already reaching out to these other people, you already have other people around you, so now it's done. I'm sure some of these people might have ideas, might have connections, whatever, to help you to that next step. But I'll let you answer that question.
1: I think that, um, you know, get you assemble this team to kind of help you to get started and to get really through the work. Mm -hmm. And I think that once it's there, then you have to start trying to, you know, thinking about how do you get it out? Because I think that's the thing that really independent creators struggle the most with. There's no shortage of stories. There's no shortage of talent. It's that idea of like, how do I get my work in front of people?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know that can vary depending on you know what it is. You know um, there are if you're doing what they call like urban lit, or like street lit, there are so many spaces where you can get mm-hmm. this out. Um, but I think with us people who do speculative fiction, that equivalent is the convention scene. You know, getting out there to different conventions, um, particularly these smaller conventions Mm -hmm. um, that are building up, you know, themselves and building up their audience. But if you can get out to the larger ones, those as well, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of getting yourself out there, getting in front of eyes, getting in front of people. One, just to kind of get your work out there. But two, because these are spaces where you can build even greater communities, even larger communities of people who are like-minded. are willing to help and support one another. So yeah, I think I guess the next step would be like working to kind of get your work out in front of more people.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because you are a, you run a track at one of the local Atlanta conventions, Multiverse Con, which is coming up in October, I believe. Yes. And so I'm glad you mentioned that connection because you're right, particularly like you said, if you're doing speculative fiction and you're doing indie books and things like that, you get in these conventions, even if you get a medium-sized one, you're talking about your natural, you know, yeah. people. You're going to have people that are going to walk up and they'll buy your book because they come there to, to I when I go, even though I'm an author, I'm getting books. I come back with a stack of yeah. books that I take my time and go through, particularly when I need a break. But it, it also another good thing. It helps you get your pitch down. <laughs> yes. It helps you get... <laughs> you got to know what your book's about and the first time i ever did one the person comes up well you know it's about this and it's about this but you notice what the people latch on to so the next time they come mm-hmm. up you change it and you change it a couple yeah. of hours into doing that oh you got your pitch down you could tell anybody about your book and so that's a, that's a great learning um, opportunity for new authors if they're not exactly sure or they didn't have those people around. Like you mentioned, that could help with that type of thing, Mm -hmm. but there was something else you said. And and I, and I smiled when you said it because you talked about having those, those, those people around you who believe. Yeah. I don't know how old you are and I'm not going to ask you, Um, but there was a (laughs) song that came out with the first Muppet movie called um, rainbow connection. Um, Muppet um, Kermit, the frog sings it. It was written mm-hmm. by Paul Williams, and I recently saw an old interview with him, and he was talking about this very thing. It was really interesting when talked about the, the, the nature of creating things. And he says, mm-hmm. if you have an idea and you can find somebody who believes in it, magic will happen. Because he yeah. was talking about where did he get the words for that song? Because he was working with Jim Henson. Well, Jim Henson said, y'all just do what you're going to do. I trust you. And he was working with, with, with somebody who, he was a songwriter. He was working with somebody who composed the music. And he said almost the same thing you did. If you have somebody or some people who believe in you, believe what you're doing, catch your vision. He says magic will happen. And so, yeah, yeah I, I think what, you, what you're saying is, re- is really profound. That you can find those people who can catch your vision and and be there and help you uh, with with whatever you're trying to do. I'm old
1: enough to know the movie you're talking about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but you know, so vision you know, over reruns and stuff, and then they came out with all the other movies. So and now it's a phenomenon that's where people go back and watch something for the first time. So <laughs> you never that's know. why it's, it's
1: just ambiguous enough,
0: you know? Like, he, did he watch it when it first came out? And then they watch the movie, you'll never know. <laughs> I, I don't even know if I saw it in the first case. And you know, and the funny thing is, I hadn't even thought about the song until of all things, I was um somebody I was listening to somebody who was talking about esoteric stuff. and he says, "You got to check out the lyrics in Rainbow Connection. It's like, what? <laughs> and he played it. <laughs> and there's a verse that talks about creativity, inspiration, and I didn't in the Rainbow Connection. A, a, a fake frog, a Muppet singing something. But then when you listen to the interview, that's where Paul Williams, they were true creatives. And there's a commonality among all true creatives. No matter how, what, what rapping they put on it, we all kind of say the same thing because we all experience the same thing with our inspiration where our, our, our stuff comes from. And so it's like, wow, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. What do you hope to accomplish with your works, particularly with your series that you're doing and the other things that you have coming along?
1: I want to be the person that I wanted when I was younger. Um, That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) When I, like I said, when I was younger, I was really heavy into all this speculative stuff. And when my dad brought that up to me, you know, I brushed it off because I was a kid. And, you know, what your parents say, you're going to reject it just by nature. But it did stick in the back of my mind. And when I got, as I started getting older, you know, I did start looking for, you know, more of these Black characters, more of these queer characters, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted that, but it wasn't as, it wasn't so much so that it turned me away from speculative fiction in general. Like I still stuck with it because this is stuff that I love, but I did kind of want that in the back of my head. I think what I want to accomplish is to, because I know there are people who are still thinking that. I know there are. I've met some of them. Um, I want to be one of those people that when they go looking for this Black content, this queer content, you know, this nuanced Black, queer, et cetera, content, I want to be one of those people that they find.
0: Oh, man.
1: Um, so <laughs> I think that's also kind of why I want to, of course, writing English, you know, books on my first love, but that's also why I want to branch off into other stuff as well. Because not everyone is going to have that first love, like me, is going to go pick up, you know, a 300-page novel. They may pick up a comic book. Mm -hmm. They may boot up, you know, their game system. They may go to a streaming service and, you know, look things up. Um, But, yeah, that's that's what I want to accomplish more than anything.
0: Yeah. And do you mind if I quote something else that you wrote? (laughs) No, go ahead. Go for it. It comes from that same article. You said, we're using our love of what speculative fiction can accomplish to show that Black people can be heroes, that our fears mm-hmm. are legitimate and that we have a place in history and the future. Yes, yeah. that's, that's, that's Marcus Hines, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 really, I really like that. Well, um, thank you. For your your words of wisdom, thank you um, for everything, and thank you for what you're doing now. And I look forward to some of the things. And he's going to tell me, folks, offline what what he's doing. So don't worry. <laughs> <I'm not sure>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but 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 thank you because, like I said, I I see where you where you have placed yourself and what you're doing. Not only are you a content creator, but you're one who is chronicling all the other things. You're the you're mm. the also the the historian of our time i believe so in, in addition to your 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 works these things are also going to always be there too so i, I really applaud you and everything you do and thank you for taking time out to be on my podcast
1: no problem, no problem man i appreciate it i really enjoy it
0: thank you for listening to another edition of the urban guru podcast and of course you can always find us on itunes just search for urban guru and you'll find our podcast listed. You can also listen to this podcast on SoundCloud. Just search for Urban Guru Podcast, and you'll be able to find it there too. Thank you again for listening. And remember, no matter whatever your creative endeavor is, always push forward because every step that you take along that path will lead you to your ultimate destination. So I'll see you next time.